T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. From Business Insider, Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Joe Beamer, good morning to you. Oh, thank you. Dave, let me ask you, obviously, uh, another busy week in Washington, D.C., but obviously the focus on the Supreme Court uh, since 1014 on Friday when that, uh, well, when we were confirmed that the leak was accurate. Uh, what has been the reaction in Washington, D.C. these last two days? Uh, the reaction has been massive and incessant, and it's not going to slow down, I would suspect, Joe, for, for many, many days and weeks to come, uh, in part because it was uh, immediate when Democrats in particular said just minutes after the decision came down that Roe is going to be on the ballot in November and that this decision will become, uh, in essence, uh, as politicized as you could ever imagine it, and it's going to be something that they are going to run on in a major way because in the opinion of many Democrats going all the way on up to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and President Joe Biden, they feel that there's going to be sufficient outrage all across the country to help Democrats in a political context. So at least in terms of the pure politics, the real politic of the matter, that that's where things stand. But of course, all across the country, the reaction has uh, ranged from absolutely outraged to complete elation. Uh, this has been an effort for decades uh, on the uh, anti-abortion pro-life side, and uh, it's been something that has been uh, an effort that's been leading up uh, to this very moment. So there are uh, tens of millions of Americans who are just uh, incredibly upset and tens of millions of Americans who are uh, about as happy with this decision as they, they possibly could be, which really underscores, Joe, the divide that we have in this country, uh, not only over the issue of abortion, but on many things. And, and as you said, Democrats have been very vocal the last two days. On the right, uh, Susan Collins has been, uh, Senator from Maine, has been very vocal about her disappointment in Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, what does that stem from? Well, it stems from basically an assurance that she got uh, before his hearing, his Supreme Court nomination hearing, that uh, Roe was, uh, and I paraphrase, settled law, not something that would come up uh, or something that uh, he would even see coming up were he to be on the Supreme Court and, and that he would uh, move to strike down. So she feels as if she has been duped. It's important to note that uh, Susan Collins of Maine is a Republican, but she is a Republican who supports abortion rights. So as a result, she was looking for assurances that if she voted for him, if she voted for his nomination, which she ultimately did during a most controversial hearing when Brett Kavanaugh's past came up in, in uh, as uh, 
you know, bleak away as, uh, as you could almost get. Uh, and she ended up supporting him in part because of the assurances that she had received on this particular issue. Dave, you know, you're, you're there. You hear all the whispers in Washington. And obviously, uh, publicly, everyone, you know, is taking their sides left and right. But are there people on the right side of the aisle who secretly, maybe not publicly saying this, um, are concerned how this could play out in the midterm elections? So they're very concerned. And uh, in, I've talked to several Republicans who work in politics uh, about this very issue, and they definitely fear a backlash both at the ballot box, uh, especially in areas where there might be, for example, a very contested congressional race, which could be a determining factor in whether Republicans or Democrats control the House or the Senate come next congressional term. And let's remember that the Democrats have the thinnest of majorities in the Senate and not much more of a majority in the House. So Republicans see this as just a massive opportunity to win either one or both sides of of Congress and effectively deny Joe Biden any ability to move his agenda forward for the final two years of his first term. So, yes, they're concerned that there is going to be a political price to be paid. And I would add to Joe that uh, they're also concerned about unintended consequences, too. So we're hearing a lot uh, obviously, about the uh, after effects of the uh, of the Dobbs decision, which struck down Roe. But people are also concerned, Republicans and Democrats, that there could be a, a kind of a slippery slope effect or a spillover effect that are going to potentially affect other types of rights that currently exist at a national level uh, right now, but extending to contraception, same-sex marriage, even interracial marriage. And, you know, we forget that it was only 20 years ago that the Lawrence v. Texas decision came down, not a household name necessarily, but that was the Supreme Court decision that basically canceled all sodomy laws at the state level in the country. And uh, so, you know, basically it, it was illegal about two decades ago to perform homosexual acts in certain states. So, you know, we're dealing with a whole variety of different issues, Joe, that are now coming into play, at least theoretically, as a result of this decision coming down. And Republicans are are concerned that, hey, you know, there might be a bigger backlash politically and otherwise for them as a result of this decision. But (laughs) there are a lot of Republicans who are also incredibly happy right now that this has happened and uh, that they also see this as a galvanizing force for Republicans to say, look, all the efforts that we've been putting forward, all the things that we've been doing for the past many months and years and even decades, they're coming to fruition right now. So let's step on the gas. To that point, according to Business Insider, only 25 percent of Americans have confidence in the Supreme Court. Dave, that number, 25 percent, would lead me to believe that there are Republicans in that number, too, that don't have uh, confidence in the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's numbers uh, that are right uh, down there with Congress, and uh, Joe Biden's approval rating is not too much higher. So this speaks to almost a, a larger symptom of, of a kind of a, a plague of a lack of confidence in government overall, both by Democrats and Republicans. So uh, another poll that uh, we wrote about uh, it came from uh, earlier this year, which is uh, almost as striking, if not even more striking, which is the utter lack of knowledge that Americans have about the Supreme Court. This particular poll, which was sponsored by C-SPAN, which is about as nonpartisan as you're going to find out there, uh, basically indicated that fewer than 
one in 10 Americans could name several of the Supreme Court justices, including Samuel Alito, who wrote the Dobbs decision that struck down Roe. So not only is there a lack of confidence, but there's also a lack of understanding and knowledge about the court itself, which is uh, pretty, pretty striking, especially given that the court has the ability and has now exercised the ability and in such a profound way to determine what people in the United States of America can and cannot do. Dave, we just talked about this with uh, Congressman Higgins, uh, talking about the gun legislation that was signed by President Biden yesterday. Uh, Congressman Higgins said, you know, it's a start, but it's far from uh, where we need to be. But he also uh, voiced, you know, that he that it does give him hope that there could be uh, more bipartisan work in the future. Is that echoing um, Democrats and Republicans in Washington this weekend? No, not on the not on the end. I, I laugh a little bit because I, I've talked to several Democrats and Republicans about this very point, and and put the question to them this past week. Hey, you know, does the does the gun legislation indicate something bigger? Does it indicate some sort of a uh, a melting of the icy freeze that Democrats and Republicans have increasingly had over the past several years, particularly uh, in the years after Donald Trump became president? And both sides uh, effectively, and hey, you know, this is a unscientific poll here, but nevertheless, both sides had very little confidence that this spoke to some sort of a, a larger warming of relations uh, among Democrats and Republicans. Uh, a, a very, very, you know, difficult confluence of factors uh, came to uh, conspire, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but uh, conspire to effectively give Republicans and Democrats an opportunity to work together on this particular piece of, uh, of gun legislation. Democrats, they, they needed to do something. Uh, there was such a clamor for action to be taken. They are in the majority. They have the White House. So for them to not do something, that, that would have been politically untenable. And Republicans, too, were under great pressure, too, because uh, you know, more and more, even Republicans have said, look, we, we have to do something to protect the smallest and, and, and the most vulnerable Americans in this country. And we can't live in a society where we're not doing anything at all in response to something as horrific and terrible as uh, 20 people being killed in an elementary school uh, or 10 people being killed in a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. So Republicans were increasingly under pressure to act at least in some fashion, even if it meant going against Second Amendment orthodoxy on this issue, which many Republicans still continue to hew to. But John Cornyn, the senator from Texas, uh, among others, including up to Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, basically said, yes, we we are willing to do something in order, uh, in their opinion, to make common sense changes to try to keep guns out of the hands of people who absolutely should not have a gun in the estimation of almost any American, regardless of your political persuasions. Dave, also in Washington this week, uh, Roger Goodell giving a speech to Congress. Uh, What got the commissioner of the NFL uh, in front of Congress via Zoom meeting? He sure did. And and what got him there was uh, activity that was taking place in the Washington, D.C. area. But not in a political sense, at least as we would normally talk about it, Joe, and that has everything to do with the Washington Commanders, uh, the football team of Washington, D.C., and its owner, Dan Snyder, who has uh, become a 
a real pariah in sports, one of the most reviled owners, not only in the NFL, but in sports and a massive uh, sexual scandal that has been rocking that particular franchise and club. In essence, uh, Dan Snyder is uh, being accused of perpetrating a, a, a climate of, uh, of fear and, uh, and, and reprisal and, in essence, uh, tampering with an investigation into activities that are taking place. Dan Snyder himself would uh, not uh, proverbially play ball with Congress. He may yet be subpoenaed and forced to testify at the peril of uh, being held in contempt of Congress. That has yet to happen, but Roger Goodell uh, volunteered to come and testify before this House committee, and as a result, uh, he faced some very, very difficult questions about what's going to be done, and even questions on up to, hey, uh, Roger, are you going to remove Dan Snyder as the owner of the Washington Commanders? His response, Joe, was, I don't have the ability to do so. Again, I paraphrase, but the owners of the NFL, if you get 24 out of the 32 club owners voting to kick Dan Snyder out of the ownership of his own team, then he basically could, uh, could could kind of be fired from being the owner of that team or forced to give it up. That, again, too, has not happened yet. But the fact that this is all being debated before Congress itself at a time when we're having lots of other things going on in Congress, uh, including the January 6th hearings that uh, continued to take place, uh, it was uh, also to a very striking moment uh, here in Washington, D.C., and a week filled with uh, about a half a dozen striking moments that were just uh, is uh, <laughs> on any given other news week would, uh, would would be the thing totally in the in the top of the headlines. But, man, it has been a news week, to say the least. Before we get to that, I meant to ask one more question when talking about the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, there's been the calls from those in Congress, some in Senate, to, quote, uh, pack the court, expand the Supreme Court. The White House, even after Friday's decision, has still been um, pretty against that, and that stands today, correct? It does, and, and Joe Biden threw cold water on it in a major way and said that uh, he, he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to go that route. And, and, Joe, this is interesting because you can talk about that in isolation and get philosophical about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it would have massive consequences that could both help and hurt Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives, depending on the makeup of the court, something that could help Democrats potentially in the short term, but hurt them drastically in the long term. But, uh, you know, that, that's a discussion for another day. What I think is probably the most urgent and striking, at least within the Democratic Party, uh, intramurally is this division that there is between sort of the younger, very, very far left types of politicians in the Democratic Party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being chief among them, and, and being outraged that at least the, uh, the, the mainstream Democrats, if you want to call them that, the old guard may be more accurate, and that, that they wouldn't consider this and that they wouldn't be taking as aggressive and dramatic action as they could to try to undo the Supreme Court's decision. So expect that to be a real storyline going forward, Joe, about Democrats Again, intramurally, internally between now and November, because there are definitely some tensions and some divisions that are taking place within the party. And those tensions are very much uh, with the AOCs of the world and the squads of the world versus sort of the Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyers uh, of the Democratic Party, who have uh, in many cases been there not uh, not months or years, but uh, but decades uh, and all the way on up to 50 years for Joe Biden in public service. 
Dave, you mentioned the January 6th hearings. They continue. I believe we've had five public hearings now this month or in the last two weeks. I asked this question of Congressman Higgins, and I wonder if you've heard this question asked of anyone in Washington or if anyone's addressed this. Um, you know, you look at the committee, obviously put together uh, by most by people that, for the most part, did not um, agree and were vocal against the previous president. Um, Nancy Pelosi shot down the idea of having someone like Jim Jordan on it. Has anyone been asked, I asked this question to Congressman Higgins, has anyone asked if maybe that wasn't the right idea uh, because you do have these committee hearings going on that a lot of people on the right side of the aisle, again, most people on the right, think what, what happened on January 6th, uh, thinks the, the people that were there should all be charged and prosecuted. Uh, but, do you, but have people asked the question if maybe there should have been more Republicans on this committee to then get the attention of more of America? Yes, and uh, I've asked that question myself uh, on multiple occasions to multiple Democrats, and the answer almost in unanimity is, look, the Republicans, and, and I'm conveying what Democrats have told me, they say that, look, Republicans had their opportunity. They had their opportunity very early on when the goal initially from Democrats was to have a truly bipartisan commission, not a select committee. It would be a commission of the sort that we had after uh, Watergate, uh, the commission of the sort that we had after the BP oil spill about a decade ago. And the one that most people would remember was a commission, bipartisan commission, that uh, was convened after these uh, terrorist attacks on 9-11 and produced a, a very dramatic uh, report after that. And Republicans didn't want to do that this time. They didn't want to have that kind of a bipartisan commission uh, and those negotiations to go that route, which would have quite possibly had a Jim Jordan or, or other Republicans who have a very, very different perspective on the attacks of January 6th, who would have been on that bipartisan commission. Uh, that fell apart, but Democrats weren't willing to simply fold their hand and, and quit the game. They decided to go a route that was, by its nature, going to be more partisan, and that manifested itself in the select committee that we have right now that is absolutely dom dominated by Democrats, by design, was going to be uh, dominated by Democrats, just given the fact that Democrats hold power in the House. There are two Republicans on this committee, but they are two Republicans who have come into the committee with a very distinct perspective, which flies in the face of what many Republicans feel about the attacks of January 6th or about Donald Trump himself. So that that's really kind of the... Uh, short to medium term history of, of what had gone on here. And, and I do get the sense from a few Republicans who I've talked to recently that there is a little bit of uh, kind of, uh, you know, buyer's remorse may may not be the best term, but uh, almost as if they, they wish they could, uh, to mix metaphors, uh, gotten a mulligan where uh, they would have had an opportunity to play a bigger role. Uh, because in essence, the Democrats are able to really just drive the conversation in full here with Republicans having to kind of uh, shout from the peanut gallery as opposed to being in prime time and in these hearings and in the mix and contradicting in real time what's being said. They don't have that opportunity as a result of the way that this committee has been taken place, is taking place and has been constituted. Now, we've had one primetime hearing, the other four in the afternoon. Uh, will there be another one in prime time coming up? I would expect so, and that's not definite because the schedule has not been released and the committee has not said definitively. But uh, what we do know is that they're going to take a break uh, for a couple of weeks here. The 4th of July holiday is going to come 
and go, and then the rest of the hearings that are slated to take place are likely going to do so uh, in the course of uh, a couple of weeks during July. So back in uh, in uh, early to mid-July is when these are going to ramp up again. And yes, it, it would seem likely that uh, they're not all going to take place uh, as uh, matinee hearings, but some of them are definitely going to be uh, at least one a primetime hearing. And Dave, here in New York, we're ramping up for a strange primary season. Uh, primary day, part one, this Tuesday, and then uh, and that's for state offices. And then you got to get yourself back to the polls on August 23rd uh, for the congressional primaries. Uh, this is this is kind of different than how it usually is, right? It is. Uh, not, not as bad as, say, a state like Alaska, where I think they're going to go to the polls on four different occasions from last month through, through Election Day because of special elections that they have going on. But, but this is... Uh, you know, New York has had a uh, incredibly turbulent year, and of course, everything that has happened with the congressional maps and then the uh, in, in the court fights and the legal battles that have taken place have caused us to be a good bit different than what any New Yorker, or certainly any Buffalonian, would uh, typically expect with a uh, w- with an election such as this. But people need to go and vote if they want to have a voice in this. So you might have to gear up to get out and uh, fill out your ballot uh, a couple more times than you typically would or get to the polls a couple more times than you typically would. But nevertheless, uh, everything is still going to be on the ballot, just a little bit uh, in a more diffuse form, if you will, than it, it may typically be. And I, w- I would I would assume, you know, no offense to the gubern- gubernatorial primary, but I think we know how that's going to go in New York. I would assume the eyes of Washington are a little more interested in that August primary where uh, the new congressional seats uh, pick their uh, their party representatives uh, than the one on this Tuesday. Well, certainly, and and that factors directly back into a Democrats' hope of uh, leading hope, perhaps, of uh, retaining the U.S. House. Uh, they were hoping that New York was going to give them a little bit of a cushion with some seats, congressional seats that were going to be a bit safer than they probably are going to be right now. So. Democrats may ultimately, depending on how things come to pass, uh, lose seats in New York, New York State, statewide, uh, relative to to where things are right now. And that could have major ramifications, potentially, especially if the math is as close as it potentially could be uh, in whether Nancy Pelosi's party, as it is right now, uh, continues to control the U.S. House or whether we're looking at uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy or somebody else uh, going forward for at least the next two years, come 2023. Deputy Editor Dave Leventhal. Dave, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great uh, 4th of July, and we'll talk soon. You as well, Joe. Thank you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.